Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. We are, of course, in season five, where we are talking about Jim Henson and his creations and his storytelling and the Muppets and You're Letting Me Fangirl, all about Kermit the Frog, which is one of my favorite things to do. And I'm really excited about this week. This week, we are talking about the 2011 The Muppets movie that came out. It was written by Jason Siegel and Nicholas Stoller and, of course, directed by James Bobbin. To me, it's a love letter to the Muppets, but we'll talk more about that later. And then later in the week, we are going to be talking about The Labyrinth, which is hands down one of my all-time favorite movies. I actually have Watson on the podcast with me that day. We get into a, a little debate about how we, th- what we think the intention of some of the characters were and where we think the storytelling went. It was a friendly debate. We are still on talking terms, uh, but it was interesting to see how our opinions about the movie differed a little bit. But this is all about the Muppets, which I loved. I went to the theaters to see it. It brought me to tears several times. I also got the opportunity to meet G- Jason Siegel at a library conference, which was really fun. Um, we kind of snuck into his interview, his panel, where he was talking about a teen book that he had just published. We snuck in and we were just in awe that he was standing right there and we got into line to meet him. And he actually, I have a picture. I'll try to find it if I can. A picture of him holding my garden gnome mic, my traveling garden gnome mic. Um, And the brilliant line that I came up with to say to him was, thank you for bringing Kermit back. So it's kind of awesome. I thought that I got to thank him for, for that love that he had as a kid you know, for the Muppets and that he wanted this generation and generations, you know, to come to appreciate the kindness and the heart and the humor uh, of, of the Muppets, of Kermit and the magic that they create every time they're on the screen. I also got to see, so in this movie, um, there is a theater being used as the Muppet Theater that is in downtown Hollywood. And I got to see that theater. Again, I cried. I was another library conference, the American Library um, Association conference. It was in Anaheim. I was receiving an award. It was a thing. Uh, I went out there with the director of my library. And my parents said, actually, for my birthday, bought me a ticket that the conference was offering these tours of Hollywood. So one night, they bought me a ticket to this. One night, I hop on this bus with a whole bunch of people I didn't know, made some new friends because librarians are super nice and wonderful. And uh, we were strolling through the streets of Hollywood, which are not as fancy and glittery as you think they are going to be. They're kind of (laughs) sketchy, to be completely honest. Dirty. There's just a lot of people begging you to take a photo with them them and they look like a knockoff Iron Man. It's a thing. But we got to go to the Chinese theater and we had this tour guide who sounded exactly like Kirsten Dunst. And so every time she talked, I was just like enamored by her voice because it just sounded so I was like, man. And she went, of course, she wanted to be an actress, but she took us by the theater that was used for the Muppet Theater. And I just cried there on the streets of Hollywood because I I know it's not the actual Muppet Theater, but it was special to me. You know, these little these little things that connect me in one way or another to the Muppets. I I just have always really appreciated. So, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Um this one is an interesting one because it was well critically sort of critically acclaimed and um the people who loved the Muppets actually really enjoyed the movie. It was actually kind of 
got some criticism from the puppeteers themselves, the Muppet performers, especially Frank Oz, who just kind of disapproved of the script and thought that the early version of the script was disrespectful towards the characters. He does eventually backtrack. A lot of them refuse to work on the movie, including Frank Oz. He backtracked a little bit, um, thinking that it was a little safe of a movie, but he really appreciated that it got people back to appreciating the Muppets and then it brought that happiness back. Um, so I, I like that in the end, he kind of turned around a little bit on the movie. And I think you see it again. We'll talk about it a little later. Uh, it really is a love letter to the Muppets. And I think that comes across. And I wonder if that was the part that changed his mind to see the care that was taken um, and the love shown for each of those characters, even if it was a little different than they might've acted under his, his helm. Um, but I, I don't think you can deny that Jason Siegel and Nicholas Stoller have a deep, deep appreciation for the Muppets. We're going to dive into the quick rundown because I'm afraid this one's going to get wordy again. When I talk about the Muppets, these episodes just get longer and longer. And I do appreciate, you know, I, I appreciate you sticking with me. Friday's long, the labyrinth is long. I'm just going to warn <laughs> I'm going to warn you. But in this one, in the 2011 The Muppets, we meet Walter. Walter is a Muppet being raised by a human family. That dynamic is never really explained. And I have a lot of questions. But Walter is living a good life. He's got loving parents and a special bond with his brother, Gary. They live in a town called Small Town. They go through scouts together, play baseball, and they enjoy growing, except that while Gary actually grows up, Walter stays the same year after year after year. He knows he's different, uh, and, he, and he recognizes that he doesn't quite fit into the town the way that Gary does. But then one evening, his life changes when he catches The Muppet Show on TV. Kermit and his Muppet pals and Walter falls in love. Representation is important and he feels a natural camaraderie and kinship with the group of weirdos. It becomes an obsession and Gary kind of fosters that in him a little bit, um, but it keeps him grounded as well, which is, which is really sweet. Their bond is very, very sweet. A little weird again, because as they grow up and Gary is a grown man, they are still sharing a bedroom, which again, I have a lot of questions about. <laughs> but we can talk about those at a later time. So Gary, now a grown man, is planning a special anniversary trip with his girlfriend, Mary, to Los Angeles and surprises Walter with an invite as well. This is Walter's chance to see them up at studios, and he is stoked. In their enthusiasm about the trip, Gary and Walter sing a nice song, Life's a Happy Song, about having someone special to move through life with, and they make their way to Mary's school, where she teaches. Uh, I don't really know what she teaches. When they walk in, it's, she's teaching car repair. So um, she's into mechanics, apparently. And Mary is excited for the trip as well, but then we get a little song from her where she's a little bummed that it's always Gary, Mary, and Walter. And she's hoping that one day soon, Gary will propose and it can just be the two of them. And so our three heroes, we're going to call them heroes, even though the real hero of the movie is, of course, Kermit the Frog. They head to the big city on this anniversary trip. Unfortunately, when they get there, the Muppet Studios aren't quite as dreamlike as Walter had hoped. It's run down and sketchy, to say the least. Uh, Gary and Mary try to kind of 
stem his enthusiasm saying, you know what, buddy, it might not be as exciting as you think it's going to be, but for him, the magic is there. He just sees it through rose-colored glasses. Uh, but there is definitely a very thick layer of dust over everything, and it seems to be deserted. So on a very sad tour led by Alan Arkin, Walter actually overhears our villain, Tex Richmond, scheme to buy the Muppet Studios to dig for oil. There is oil under the theater. And while Kermit signed this contract he thinks that richmond is going to create a muppet museum that's why he kind of sold the muppet theater to the to richmond uh really richmond's going to tear everything down to get to the oil well walter can't let this happen so he convinces gary and mary to help him find kermit and tell him what richmond is up to and they do they find kermit and his hollywood man in his hollywood mansion alone and sad which is like extra sad because it's kermit the frog and he's missing the gang and feeling forgotten and they convince him there's still a chance if they can put on a muppet show and raise 10 million dollars they can save the muppet theater they can buy back the theater and they have until it's a few days later they have until midnight a few days later to buy back the muppet theater before it's officially Tex Richmond's. And while Kermit is skeptical, he gives it a try. I think he really just wants his friends back. And so once again, Kermit the Frog heads out on a trip, a road trip. First stop is to find Fozzie, who is performing in Reno with the Muppets in a horrifying casino. So I, if in case you've watched it, there, the TV show, the sitcom Community, which is just one of the best shows I've ever watched on television. Um, one of them. There's other ones. We'll talk about that in a later season. But in Community, there is kind of an ongoing conversation about the darkest timeline. There's one episode in particular where they are having pizza at um, Troy and Abed's new apartment. They're going to play a game. They throw some dice in the air to see who has to go down to get the pizza. And depending on how it rolls and who wins and loses, uh, there's there's a different timeline for each of those. And so kind of they consider one the darkest timeline and it follows them through the rest of the series. Well, the Muppets is kind of the darkest timeline of the Muppets. Like this is what the Muppets could have been had they like been on drugs and been just horrible individuals. So Kermit apologizes to Fozzie for not staying in touch more. And it's just really sad to see his best friend living in these conditions. His um, dressing room is actually the alley behind the casino. He has to always pick up his cushions when it rains because they get all wet. So Fozzie, of course, would follow Kermit anywhere. And he's more than happy to go on this journey with him. Then they go to find Gonzo, who's created a toilet empire, I guess. He's a businessman, doesn't have a lot of time to talk through talk with him he's like you've got like one minute to tell me what you want and then we're done and walter though walter gives a lot of pep talks he gives a pep talk to gonzo and we realize that gonzo underneath his business suit has still been wearing the silver jumpsuit with the cape that he always wears when he does things with camilla he's so he's ready to go he is not loving the life of the toilet entrepreneur that you think he is. So he's good to go. Then we come to Animal, who is sitting in a park, meditating and working through his anger management issues. Jack Black is actually his sponsor. Animal wants to go. Jack Black's a little worried, uh, especially because Animal is a drummer, and it turns out that one of his trigger words is drum. So he's like, okay, go, but you cannot 
play the drums because then your anger management issues will come back up. So the, the crazy Muppet is in. That's when Kermit's newest sidekick, 80s Robot, suggests they collect the rest of the Muppets via montage to kind of speed things up a little bit. They find the Electric Mayhem are playing music in the subway. Beaker and Honeydew are wreaking havoc in a laboratory. Kind of looks like a particle accelerator or something like that. Sam Eagle is a newscaster. Scooter works for Google. Crazy Harry has been blowing up Mount Rushmore. And then we get a scene where there's just a whole bunch of Muppets even those that weren't actually in the montage inside the car with them on this journey, including Rolf and the Swedish chef. And then to speed things up even more, they decide to travel by map to France to pick up Miss Piggy in Paris, who is working for Vogue magazine as the plus size editor. So a map appears on the screen. There's a little redded dot line thing, that dashed line that shows their journey through the ocean. The car actually pulls out of the ocean onto the beach as if it traveled under the water. It's very cute um, to go find Peggy. They get turned away by her secretary at first, played by Emily Blunt, who's doing a very similar character to her Devil Wears Prada character. But they come back with a disguise called Muppet Man, where they stand on each other's shoulders wearing a suit um, and look important. And of course it works. Of course it works. So they see Piggy. Piggy is a little more excited than excited to see Kermit the Frog until she remembers that she's supposed to be strong and stay away from him. He has broken her heart. Um, so she doesn't, you know, she's not eager to go off with them immediately. But Walter lets her know that the studio and theater are in danger. And so she says, all right, but I want a conversation with Kermit. So she gets a conversation with her long lost love. They go on a stroll through the romantic streets of Paris. They have a heart to heart about their relationship and how Kermit hurt her. Piggy explains, though, that she's built a life for herself and she walks away from him. She's like, you know what? No, I've, I've got something good here. I built this for myself. And she walks off. So they, they think they've, they've lost P Piggy. So the group sadly leaves for home and has to resort to hiring one of the Muppets to perform with them because apparently they think they have to have a singing pig. Now all they have to do is to pitch the telethon to some executives in hopes that they will air it on TV and save, help them save the studio. And just like in The Muppets Take Manhattan, it doesn't go well. One executive in particular breaks the news that the Muppets are no longer relevant, but Kermit is there with a speech, an eloquent speech about how they bring laughter and joy to the world, and that's what the world needs. But his speech is then interrupted rudely um, when someone barges in to tell this executive that the show they had planned to put on uh, is going to have to be canceled. They can't go on. So this executive says, well, you're here. Fine. We need to fill the spot. We'll put on the telethon. We'll put it on TV. So the telethon is a go. Woohoo! Cut to Tex Richmond, who has heard about the telethon really quickly. Don't know how that happened, but he's not worried. There's no way the Muppets can raise that kind of cash. So they just kind of keep an eye on Richmond throughout the movie at different parts to let you know that he is still there. He is still being the bad guy. But before they can have the telethon, telethon they need to clean up the theater, which looks completely abandoned. It's a big job, but Walter reminds them that they work better to music, so that's what they do. They turn on the song, We Built the City. Uh, Kermit starts calling celebrities to try, because they're going to need celebrity hosts. It's the Muppet Show. That's, that's what happens. They bring in celebrity hosts. Walter then really starts to find a home with his Muppet friends, a place where he belongs, a kinship. And 
that is hard for Gary. It's hard to see for him to see his brother kind of going off on his own. I think he, he knows he wants that, but he also has always really liked Walter depending on him. At the same time, Mary is starting to get a little upset that she's spending her anniversary in the big city cleaning the uh, theater while Gary, you know, is just doing everything his brother needs because he's afraid to lose him. The next day, though, Piggy shows up. Of course she does. Of course she does, guys. Piggy shows up because she just can't stay away to take her rightful spot in the show. She kicks out the Moopit, which will come back to bite them a little bit. There is only one Piggy, and she is moi. And then rehearsals start, which don't go well. They're a little rusty. The Muppets are a little rusty. They have forgotten the intro to the Muppet show. They're all over the place. Nobody really knows what to do for their talent for the different skits. Walter has been asked to perform and he's terribly insecure, doesn't know what he's going to do. And the executive that's putting on the telethon, Veronica, she is now starting to get a little discouraged. Like, oh gosh, this might not be a bad idea. Cut to Mary who has decided to sightsee on her own and stops for lunch at Mel's Diner, where she's having a me party, uh, a party on her own. So she's just talking about, you know, being lonely. And and this was not the trip she had planned. At the same time, Piggy is singing that too, that, hey, I don't need Kermit. I can have a me party. I can be my own woman. So Kermit is in a panic because Veronica, the exec, won't air the show unless he can find a celebrity host. He needs a celebrity host and he can't get a hold of any of his celebrities because in his Rolodex are all of the celebrities that he had on in the 1970s, which just doesn't work anymore. So it's seeming impossible. So he decides, you know what, if, if this telethon isn't going to work, I just, maybe I just need to go right to Tex Richmond to see if he will tear up the contract and let the Muppets keep the theater. And so they, that's what he does. Some of the Muppets in him, they go to see Tex Tex Richmond. Um, side note, because I haven't mentioned it, Tex Richmond is played by Chris Cooper. And in this scene, Chris Cooper raps <laughs> while he's the villain. You kind of totally fall in love with Tex Richmond a little bit because Chris Cooper is awesome. So needless to say, Richmond doesn't make the deal. He, this is a no-go. He, he wants his oil. In fact, he pulls out the contract that states that not only will the Muppets lose the studio, they will lose the rights to the Muppet name. And the Muppets, who they've now offended because Piggy came back and they kicked the one Muppet out, the Muppets are waiting in the wings to steal the name the Muppets. Fozzie gives a pep talk. There's lots of pep talks in this movie. Fozzie tries to give a pep talk outside of Richmond's office, but Kermit has to give them the bad news that he couldn't find a celebrity host. The, the telethon, it might not happen. Then our sweet frog walks away depressed. It's so sad. That's when Piggy steps up and is, you know, says, no, we, we've got to do this. It's, it's our turn to step up and do this for Kermit. And she is willing to use violence to get what she needs and what they need. So she's leading the pack now, which is probably a good and bad thing all wrapped up together. Meanwhile, clueless Gary forgets his anniversary dinner and goes to Walter for help. He doesn't realize, he doesn't understand why Mary's mad at him, goes to Walter to see if maybe he knows, but Walter selfishly, once Gary realizes, oh my goodness, I forgot the dinner. Walter selfishly asks Gary to help him find a talent for the show, completely oblivious to the fact that his brother is in pain and he's hurt Mary's feelings. So that night, Piggy leads the crew using animal as bait to kidnap Jack Black on a movie set. And Gary discovers that Mary has left L.A. to head home to small town. 
In the note she leaves him, she tells him that he needs to figure out if he's a man or a Muppet. And we get another great song, an Oscar-winning song. The first time the Muppets have won an Oscar. During the song, Gary realizes he is a man. And Walter realizes he's a Muppet. And so Gary leaves L.A. to go find Mary at home in small town. Piggy then tells Kermit that she found a celebrity host. He's very excited, but then he's a little more than concerned that a felony has been committed when they re he realizes that they actually kidnapped Jack Black. Piggy insists it's for a good cause. I mean, there's no way Kermit is going to let his friends down and the people down. So Kermit reluctantly agrees and they hurry off to the theater for the telethon. Tex Richmond, back to him, is feeling smug thinking he's beat the Muppets, but then he sees that the telethon is a go, and so he's instituting phase two, and we'll come back to that in just a little bit. So things are looking bleak for the telethon right off the bat. They've got only one audience member, a vagrant, in the theater, and they're not entirely sure there was anyone, anybody watching on TV, but they pull things together and perform the opening number just like they used to. Jack Black is tied up and insolent on the stage. And in all fairness, he is being held hostage by some Muppets and he's begging for help. Um, but it's his back and forth with the Muppets as he kind of complains that really start to get the calls coming in. As the Muppets start to share their talents and their personalities and their laughter, folks start to arrive at the theater and viewers start to call in with donations. and. It's all about remembering the joy that the Muppets brought into their lives once upon a time. Before long, it's Walter's turn, and he's supposed to get out on the stage and do his talent, but he goes out there and just totally blows it. He runs off the stage screaming, don't worry, he'll have his moment in a bit. <laughs> Things are starting to look up until Richmond's phase two goes into effect. He decides to cut the power to the entire theater. Thankfully, Gary and Mary, who had been watching the telethon from small town, have returned to save the day. Mary gets the power back on because she's into mechanical things. Uh, and that's still not enough for Richmond. So he immediately dives into phase three, where he's going to climb to the top of the tower on the top of the theater, something like that, and clip the wires that are, it's the TV signal wires. He's going to cut ties to the TV. Too bad for Richmond, though, his Muppet assistant, finally comes to his senses and stops him. You know, Muppets protect Muppets, and the telethon is on. So um, once Kermit talks to Mary and Gary, and, you know, he, he sees how they've reunited, he realizes that he has missed Miss Piggy and wants her in his life, and so they get back together. She is, of course, touched by his endearments and agrees to sing a song with him the rainbow connection and this is this is where i start bawling in the theater as one does when kermit sings this song all of the muppets hold hands and go out on the stage to join them and they are all singing the rainbow connection together and i don't care what you say it's beautiful it's a beautiful moment backstage animal picks up his drumsticks which was a no-no uh but he wants to be a part of the group again. And so he denies that little red demon on his shoulder and he plays along with his friends on stage and the anger comes back a little bit, but he, he seems to hold it down, <laughs> which is really good. Midnight is getting closer though, and they're still short of $10 million. So Gary goes looking for Walter to give him a pep talk. The show ran short. They have some more time before midnight, but they're, they're short a skit. So Gary's got to find Walter. And gives him this pep talk about 
how Walter is so good at encouraging others, but it's time for him to believe in himself. So Walter gets out on the stage and shares his talent, the whistling of a mournful tune that gets peppy and beautiful as it continues. And it's fantastic. I mean, amazing. Absolutely unbelievable. I wish I could whistle. I cannot. I can occasionally make a sound, but it is just not a God-giving gift. So uh, I'm jealous of his whistling abilities and anybody who can whistle. I'm just always enamored by them. And the telethon ticker clicks over to $9,999,999. And they think they did it. They, they think they're going to get it right in the nick of time. But Richmond drives his car into the phone line and the calls stop. $1 short. Game over, Kermit, you lost. Richmond gets on stage announcing his victory. Frustrated, Fozzie then hits his head against the ticker, only to find out that it was wrong, and they've actually only raised $99,999. Which made Fozzie feel a little better that it wasn't so close. They're like, okay, that makes me feel better. But Richmond, he won. So the Muppets, he kicks the Muppets out of the theater. They sadly make their way up the alley and toward the back door. Kermit, though, praises them for trying. He said, you know, we tried and we failed, but we failed together and tells them all that he believes in them. And so they step outside, ready to find their next adventure together as a family. But what they find, and I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry, <laughs> but what they find is Hollywood waiting for them there. The streets filled, packed with cheering people celebrating the Muppets. And the bawling hits a crescendo. Uh, it just... It's a beautiful moment that they hadn't been forgotten, that people still love them, and that the hope and the magic that they bring is still there. And it, of course, leads into one last rendition of Life's a Happy Song, and finally, a Muppet Show favorite, Menomina, as Gary proposes to Mary. Richmond, in, in the end, saying um, he ends up giving back the theater and the Muppet name and it's totally not because of a head injury that he receives and that's where the movie ends that the Muppets still have the theater the studio and of course just a couple years late after this we get uh, the Muppets most wanted and so we get another movie with them the end ah few interesting tidbits about the movie due to limited space for the puppeteers in the scene where the car so they're going around gary and mary are in the car with the muppets as they're trying to gather everybody together uh, but the car is full of the muppets so amy adams and jason siegel were asked to operate the muppets on either side of them I think that's kind of fun. That's probably a special moment for them. After finishing the movie, the filmmakers gave Jason Siegel the Muppet version of himself that is in the song Manor Muppets to keep, which I also love. The day prior to the film's DVD release, the Muppets were awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It is located in front of the El Capitan Theater, which is owned by Disney and plays the Muppet Theater in the movie. So that was the one I got to see in Hollywood. During an interview with Terry Gross on her national public radio program, Fresh Air, Jason Siegel said that during filming, he observed the choreographer, Michael Rooney, giving instructions to the classic movie star, Mickey Rooney, who had a cameo in the movie. It's towards the beginning when they're in small town. And Michael Rooney called him dad, and Siegel went up to Michael and reprimanded him, saying, you can't just call an old man dad. And Michael said, told Siegel, no, he's my actual dad. I just thought that was funny that Jason Siegel hadn't picked up on that. 
Producers gave Jason Siegel, Gary, a feedback card from a child audience member at an early test screening of the film. The producers attached a handwritten note to Jason's feedback card that said, to keep you humble. When asked to describe what the child audience member did not like about the film, the child wrote in response, Gary's face. So Frank Oz was, according to IMDb, Frank Oz was originally set to direct but left the project because he was unhappy with the script. Jason Siegel and Nicholas Dooler approached Disney in 2007 to write this film. Disney was unsure how to make the request, take the request, as Siegel had just done Frontal Nudity and forgiving, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which came out in 2008. But after realizing that he was an avid fan, the project was approved. Siegel stated that he wanted to do the film because the last film in the series to be released in theaters was Muppets from Space in 1999, and he felt that the younger generation was missing out on enjoying one of his childhood favorites. And finally, the set for Small Town is the same set for Stars Hollow from the Gilmore Girls, which I loved. And I went back after I read that little tidbit, I went back and watched the clip where they're singing Life's a Happy Song at the beginning of the movie. You're like, yeah, yeah, that is that is Stars Hollow. So as I said, uh, if you are a fan of the Muppets and you watch this one, surely you felt it. It is a love letter to the Muppets. They took care, even though some of the characters might have been a little different, they took care in how they wrote it. And it is definitely a family movie. They didn't push buttons. They didn't take it too far. They kept true to the story of Kermit and the hope and the love that he shares with his friends and family of the Muppets. There's also a lot of Easter eggs for Muppet fans. There's, um, Kermit carries around half of a photo of Piggy. Piggy carries around half of a photo of Kermit. When put together, you realize it's the wedding scene from the Muppets Take Manhattan. Of course, the rainbow connection. Different little things that they say. Sweetums, um, who's the giant Muppet. He is working at a used car dealership, which that's what he's doing in the Muppet movie. So there's a lot of callbacks to a lot of different moments in the Muppet movie, which I really like. So that's why you should see it. If you love the Muppets, you should see this. But before we go, we have to rank the songs. I did not include, of course, like Paul Simon and We Built the City. They they have some pop, you know, some, some mainstream music in the movie, which works really well. And I liked the inclusion of it. Uh, but I did not include those in here, of course. So I'm I'm picking eight songs. So that's there. It could be debatable. There could be actually a few more, but I've picked eight to be in my list. And at number eight, I am giving Let's Talk About Me. It is the rap that Chris Cooper does when he's back in his office and he's feeling all gloaty that he thinks he has them up. It's backed into a corner and Kermit has come to ask him, you know, to tear up the contract. It is an awesome moment. One of the my favorite things about Chris Cooper is that he can't laugh. And so he, the whole time he goes, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. So he just says the words instead of actually doing it. Um, it's a fun little rap, but it's not my favorite in the movie. Number seven, I'm giving, even though I, I almost didn't include this, I'm giving it to Menomina. It has to be included. It is a classic Muppet tune. It's from the Muppet show. Um, they even brought back, that's one cool thing. Also, kind of the callbacks, they brought back some Muppets that you don't see in the other movies. So the Menomina guy, and there's also a really tall Muppet that has always been in the intro song to the Muppet show that I hadn't really seen in anything else, and he pops up as well. So it had to be included. It's great because it's where all the cameos kind of come together during the credit scene at the end of the movie. It's really fun. 
Number six, I'm giving to the Whistling Caruso. It is Walter's whistling tune. Uh, Again, it's just fantastic. I love that that was his talent, was just whistling, and the crowd went wild. Um, It seems very Walter-like, and so I really appreciated that. I did read somewhere, too, that they named him Walter to, like, as a as a homage to Walt Disney. I don't know if that's true or not, but probably since Muppets are owned by Disney by this point. Number five, which might surprise you a little if you've been listening all season, I am going with Pictures in My Head, which is the melancholy sad song that Kermit sings when he's in his mansion and Gary, Mary, and Walter have just arrived to tell him the bad news about the studio and Richmond tearing it down to dig for oil. He sings this song about the pictures in my head as he starts to think about all of his friends and family and how he misses them. Surprising, I know that the melancholy song is not towards the beginning, but there's some other really good songs, including number four, Man or Muppet, the Oscar winning song. So you get Jim Parsons in this as well. There's dueling piano of sorts. It's Jason Siegel, Jim Parsons. They both have, uh, well, Jim Parsons is actually the human version of Walter. So you have Walter and Gary singing about, you know, am I a man or am I a Muppet? And it's It's just, it's fantastic. It's worth a listen if you haven't seen the movie. Number three, I'm giving to Me Party because I sing it at different times in my life. When I go out to a movie by myself or to have a meal by myself, I'm having a me party and I I don't sing it in the restaurant, but I sing it in my head and that just seems just as good. So fantastic song, Amy Adams, Miss Piggy singing two different scenes at the same time. A lot of fun. Number two, I'm giving to Life's a Happy Song. It's a great opening sequence, uh, having a whole town come together and kind of a real-life musical feel to it. I really liked it. It's one that gets stuck in your head that I often will be humming or singing along to uh, in between viewings of the movie. It's just really cute. I like that one. It's one of the more memorable songs, I think, um, in the movie. And number one, even though it's not original to the movie, because it just pulls at all of your heartstrings, has to go to the Rainbow Connection. Kermit sitting on a stage with his banjo in hand, singing, and then here comes Piggy, and then the rest of their Muppet friends holding hands, singing the song. It is it's a really touching moment. It makes, like, I could tear up right now because that's just who I am, a fragile girl who loves the Muppets too much. Uh, but a really beautiful moment that, again, is just a love letter to the Muppets and to that sincerity that they bring to everything they do. But that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the show so that other individuals just like you, dear listener, who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about, that would be me, can join in on the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at gnomegirlm and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today. 